0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. I believe that the Lord has us in this season as a church where God wants to ask you the question, how's your soul? I don't just mean the part of you that lives on after death. I mean who you are as a living, breathing person. The first week of this series, we established the fact that in the Hebrew, the word soul is nefesh, and it means a God-breathed and living person. And I made this statement that you don't just have a soul, you are a soul. Can I repeat it? You don't just have a soul, you are a soul. And much of our thinking about the soul has been conditioned by our Western mindset. But if we go back a little bit further in time, and we begin to think like the ancient Hebrews did, we realize that God breathed into the dirt and made man. We see this in Genesis. He breathed into man and he became a living being, a nefesh, a soul. Fast forward a few years, God wants to know how's your soul? How are you doing? How is Kimberly doing? How is Jan doing? The whole person of you, not just the part that you relegate to church or the part that you relegate to to work or the part that you, you relegate to your life with your friends, but how are you doing? Underneath the surface of it all. And so we have been on this discovery, this, uh, this desire to go a little bit further and, and dig a little bit deeper into what it looks like to have a healthy and prosperous soul. And this is the text we've been working from. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. You see, understanding that it is the heartbeat of God for your soul to prosper and to be in health, for things to go well with you, is at the core of why we're doing this series. I believe this. And as a church, we're committed to this, that God wants things to go well with your soul. He wants things to be healthy. And we've been talking a lot about what it looks like to have an emotionally healthy spirituality. That term is not one that I coined. It's, it's, it's one that's, uh, that's been coined by a gentleman and author and pastor named Pete Scazzaro who pastors out of a church in New York City and has been for many, t- for many years now and for some time. And he realized that, that you, can actually, you can actually be disconnected from having an emotional healthy life and go on doing things in Jesus' name and not produce any good fruit. And he began to struggle and wrestle with this within his own life as a pastor and as a leader. He started to realize that there was a disconnect between the pastor that everyone sees and the Pete that he knew and that his wife knew and that God knows. And it led him on this discovery of of asking things about his soul that were difficult. It meant that God was asking him to take off the masks that we tend to wear uh, and to get real and to get honest. And our heartbeat throughout this series is that we would get real when you come in here, our goal isn't just to say, hey, how's it going? Oh, good. All right, cool. See you later. Like, we really care as a church. We want to know that things are going well with your soul. And if they're not, we want to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to care for you. That's why we take this time to do this. This isn't something that we do frivolously. It's something that we do because we believe that God wants things to go well with your soul. So understanding that, having that rooted in you is going to be key to what we talk about next. Because if that's not centered in you, if that's not anchored in you, it doesn't matter what you add to the foundation of your life. If that is not the core and the crux of who you are, I am loved by God. If, if that's not, if that's not the, the primary way that you identify, everything else is going to become problematic. Any other activity that you add to your life or people that you connect with or things that you do aren't going to build a sustainable, emotional, healthy life. We know that our soul includes our emotions. It includes our will. It includes the, the part of us that, that makes decisions. And there are aspects of your life right now, for many of you, where you're making decisions about who you're gonna be in the next few years. For you younger ones, this is the time that you get this solidified in your heart, not when you're 50 and 60 and 70. Come on, for you those for those of you that are in your 20s and 30s, this is the time. Right now, to get this stuff established in you. I am the beloved of God. God wants things to go well with my soul. He's committed to that, but it's conditional, meaning that you, ha- you and I have a job to do. You and I have a, a work. Uh, let's just say it this way you and I have a part to play in this equation. And a part of what God entrusts us with is this gospel, which radically changes our lives and is called to change other people's lives, it's called to transform our world. But before you and I can go out and make disciples and see other people's lives change, come on, God wants our lives to be changed. He wants your life to be changed from the inside out. He wants to do a work in your soul, in who you are as a, as a person. So we believe it's God's intention for this to happen. And the title of my message today, for those of you that are taking notes, is Slowing Down for Loving Union. I want to talk about what it looks like to slow down for loving union. What, what do I mean by union? That's not typically a word that we use a whole lot these days, unless you work for a teacher's credit union or, or a teacher's union or, or a credit union, right? You're applying for a loan from, from the bank or whatever. But the word union means to be joined to another. It means to join your life to another. And in the same way that we see this in marriage play out, God wants our life to be joined to his. He wants his life to be joined to ours. So, We're going to talk a little bit today about what it looks like to have or to be in union with Christ and how to slow down for it. To begin, I want to start with Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. If you have your Bibles, go there with me today. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Here's what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do mighty and many works in your name? And then will I, Jesus, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, to provide a little context for us, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, and he's teaching them things about the kingdom of God, right? Jesus came to proclaim the message of the kingdom, to advance his father's kingdom. And he's teaching them all throughout chapter seven, we see this. He tells them not to, to judge others. He tells them to treat others how others want to be treated or how you want to be treated, right? The golden rule, the golden rule. And He's showing them how to ask things of God. But then he takes this sudden, kind of quick left turn, if you will. He takes this radical turn and begins to speak about relationship. He addresses the elephant in the room. Is it possible to do great things for God and not have a relationship with him? Is it possible to call Jesus Lord and Savior and even prophesy in his name and not be known by him? Is it possible to cast out demons and evil spirits in the authority and power of Christ and yet not be in a loving union with him? See, ultimately, these were the kinds of things that the disciples were wrestling with. They were thinking about this and Jesus knew it because all throughout his ministry, he had to deal with these kinds of questions. Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus, can I sit at your right hand? Jesus, do you want us to call down fire and brimstone out of, out of heaven and burn these people up? Jesus, what do you you want us to do next, right? So there was this quick emphasis amongst the disciples upon doing works in Jesus' name. Basically, they wanted to uh, carry this out in the way that they thought they could rule and reign with Christ. But here's the interesting part about it. The invitation that we have as believers, as disciples, as followers, as the people of God, is to rule and reign in life through Christ. Listen to what Romans 5 says. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? You see, the calling of God for his people is to do this. It's to reign in life through Christ, through Jesus. It's to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion, right, what we see early on in Genesis. But Jesus knows that our tendency is towards selfish gain and toward impure motives that often lead us to do things in his name without having a relationship with him. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus warns of this in Matthew 7, 15 through 20. He says, "'Beware of false prophets "'who come to you in sheep's clothing, "'but inwardly are ravenous wolves.'" Yikes. "'You will recognize them by their fruits.'" Notice this emphasis here on false prophets. What does Jesus say just a few verses later? We already read it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? You see, as it turns out, false prophets aren't just those who speak things that are contrary to scripture. False prophets can be people that have said yes to follow Jesus, but they don't actually have a real relationship and union with him. So what are we to do about this? Verse 20 actually tells us and holds the key. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You see, as the people of God, we look for the fruit. We look for the fruit. And the fruit only comes by way of abiding in Christ. We saw that in in John chapter 15. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus reminds us of this. He says, if you remain in me or if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And he says here that a healthy tree, guess what? It can't bear bad fruit. In other words, it's impossible. So if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then it's gonna be evident in your life. It's gonna show up because your fruit is gonna be good and healthy. How many of you guys want good and healthy fruit in your life? Come on, because you're remaining in, you're abiding in the life of the true vine, Jesus. And that's the invitation in Christ. It's to come to him. It's to surrender to him. It's to abide and to abound in him. And the only way that's going to happen is by coming into a slowed down and loving union with Jesus. Today, I want to talk about what it means to slow down for this loving union. We don't typically use that word, but that's the word we're going to focus in on tonight. As we've seen here, the meaning of union is to be joined to another. We see this in marriage, in the context of marriage. That's why early in Genesis, it says in in the first chapter that it was God's design for man and, and woman to come together, right? To become one. The goal of union is oneness. The goal of your union with Christ is oneness. It's why within the context of marriage, sex will never be just a physical act. It's always so much more. It's physical, but it's also spiritual, Because in sex, we come together and there is a what? There is a union. There is a joining of your life together with that other person. Jesus said this about it in Matthew chapter 19. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Hello. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. The word is cling to. The word means to come into union with his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Have you not heard that, Jesus says. Verse six, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. See, once again, union is about two becoming one. It's about your life being joined to another. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him, one spirit with Christ. That's why later in the New Testament it says, be careful what you do with your body because guess what? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit now. It means you don't get to do with it whatever the heck you want. So as much as you might love those donuts, you might have to ask yourself, is this what Jesus would want for my temple? We had some sourdough rolls today and I did really good until after our video was over and I came home and there was one left and I was like, oh baby, we're doing this. We're doing this. And I ate it and then I felt terribly for about 30 seconds and then I got over it. But we need to ask ourselves, how are we enjoying our life with God? He says, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's powerful. See, it's always been the purpose of God for your life that you would become one with him. That you would abide in him and he would abide in you. That you would bear forth the fruit, right? The, the fruit of a marriage is children. The fruit of a, of a, of a joint relationship is, is good. It's, it's the way God created it and designed it. And that's what God wants for our souls. Elsewhere in Acts 17, verse 24, it says this, he is the God who made the world. And everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. All right? It's never been the intention of God to live in temples made with human hands. As beautiful and as great as those are, and as as wonderful as they are to look at, come on, that's not where God lives and abides. He wants to live and abide in you. He wants to express the fullness of his life in you. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Some of you need to stop trying to live for God and start allowing God to start living his life in you. Some of you have been weary trying to do life on your own terms and you're a struggling Christian because you're still trying to live your life and you're trying to do your best. and You're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then you fall and you wonder why? Because you're not allowing God to live his life in you. The invitation for the Christian, for the Christ follower, for the disciple, for the believer, is not for us to live our best life for God. Our best version is like filthy rags, the Bible says. Your righteousness, my righteousness, it don't smell so good. It don't look so good. I wager it don't taste so good either. But his righteousness, the righteousness of a pure, sacrificial lamb who went to the cross for you and for me, Living his life in and through us is what we're after. It's what God invites us to. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live by faith in in who? What? Me? My works? My production? my, My package? The way I do life? No, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 1.27. I love this. To them, to us, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Are you ready for it? Here's the mystery of mysteries. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not about us anymore. If you have put your faith in Jesus, guess what? Your life is no longer your own. You've been bought by the blood. You have been bought by a high purchase paid on behalf of Jesus, God's only son for you so that he could come through his Holy Spirit and live his life in you. That's the invitation. So if you've given your life to Jesus, I wanna say this to you. It's not just about saying yes. We emphasize that part. (laughs) It's about Jesus living his life In you. It's about you yielding to the life of the Savior who wants to to live and move and have His being within you. Listen to Acts 17. Yet He is not far from each of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. You see, our life in Christ is a life of loving union. But it's easy to miss, isn't it? I think one of the reasons we miss out on a loving union with Christ is that our pace of life is just too fast. We are So overcommitted. Uh, Any people pleasers in the room? Yeah, a couple of you. It's hard to say no sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to tell people, I have a hard time with that. I'm doing better. I really am. But I still struggle. Even when I say no, I feel bad for a few minutes afterwards. I'm like, oh, I hope I didn't hurt their feelings. Which is probably a good thing to have a little bit of empathy. but... (laughs) But we can get into a place where we overcommit ourselves so much. Because we want to please people. And maybe, there's, maybe the rest of you are like, no, I don't care what people think. Who cares? But you're still overcommitting yourself. You're still over engaging. You're still doing too much. And you're moving at a pace that you can't sustain. God wants us to slow down. To breathe. And to come into a place where we can recognize this union that he wants us to have with him. You see, for, for many of us, this has actually very little to do with our work. Some of us are like, well, if I just didn't work so much... It's not as much about your work or what you do. It's more about your focus when you're doing it. How many of you can be at work and your mind can be somewhere else? Or you can be in a conversation right now. Some of you could be listening to me and you're thinking about something else. You're on your phone right now like Jonathan is. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> you can be engaged, but yet not. You could be somewhere else, right? Husbands, wives. Oh my gosh, just ask Candace. Sometimes she'll talk to me and I'll be like, wait, what was that? <laughs> were you even listening to me? I was listening, but I wasn't hearing what you were saying. <laughs> because I wasn't engaged. I wasn't present. I wasn't aware. We spoke about this a little bit in our, our first message of this series about how the conscious self and the unconscious self work. How there can be things happening in our life that our unconscious self is interpreting and dealing with, right? And then there can be things that, that our conscious self needs to be engaged in. It's like entering into oncoming traffic. It's not a good time to be thinking about other things when cars are merging at 75 miles per hour. I see this every time I get onto 215 from Fort Union. It's like the, the number one place where accidents occur. You know why? Because people aren't paying attention to merging traffic because they're thinking about whatever they're thinking about or they're texting or they're, you know, they, they're looking at their email or whatever. You know Maybe they're just not paying attention. So there's 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 a difference between being present or or being here and being present. There's a difference between being engaged and being focused. Like God wants our focus. He wants us to become present. Anybody ever hear like a sports announcer talk about an athlete getting on fire? Like that that guy was in the zone, right? Kobe was in the zone. LeBron was in the zone. He was on fire. What, what are they saying? They're saying that they were present. They were engaged. They were they were aware, fully aware of what was going on. And that's the invitation for us. That's how God wants our relationship with Jesus to be, to be fully engaged, fully focused, fully present. But the temptation, for being honest, I hope we are, is always to get on with doing the stuff, to get on with doing the ministry of God in his name, to move beyond union, to be about what the union is supposed to produce, which implies this, that we can miss Jesus on account of all of our good works. That might be what somebody needed to hear tonight. Let me say it again. We can miss Jesus on account of all our good works. Guys, this should startle us. When Jesus says that you can be a good person and do all sorts of good works in his name and yet still be cast out into utter darkness at the end of your life because he never knew you, that should startle you. That should shake you. It shakes me. And it's meant to. But why is Jesus saying this? Is it because he's a stickler about good works or deeds done in his name? No. I mean, casting out demons and doing mighty works is certainly a part of what he's commissioned us to do, right? To go into all the world to make disciples. He tells us, go pray for the sick, cast out demons, raise it. He tells us to do this. But why is it so dangerous for us to miss Jesus in all of this? It's dangerous because we end up measuring life differently than the way Jesus wants wants us to. We end up interpreting success or ministry success or success in business differently than the way Jesus wants us to. We end up with upside down priorities and we end up placing emphasis where Jesus does not. Regarding the demons, let's come back to that. Do you remember what Jesus tells the disciples after they get back from their kingdom crusade? Luke 10, Jesus has just sent out 72 disciples. He sends them out two by two. And he sends them into cities where he's about to go and preach the kingdom. And he tells them to go and to heal the sick and to preach the good news. To heal the sick and to preach the good news. To heal the sick and preach the good news. This is what he says to do. And as it turns out, they go out and they do all this. And they come back and they are fired up. I mean, they are amped. They're excited. Luke 10 verse 17 says this, And the 72 returned with Joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, guys. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Pause. That's awesome, by the way. That's amazing, by the way. And he goes on to say this, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this they come back with great joy. They're all fired up. They're all amped up. They just cast out demons. They just healed the sick. They just preached the good news. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in this. It's like, well, hold on a second, Jesus. I thought you told us to go out and to do these things. Jesus says this, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Did you catch that? Jesus says, don't rejoice that the spirits or demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are in heaven. What is he addressing here? He's addressing their priorities. He's addressing the way they're about to measure success. And that's the temptation. He's saying, listen, guys, I know you're all amped up because you're you're excited about what I'm doing in your life. You just got saved and you want to tell everybody about me. Anybody know that, that, that early Christian who gets all excited for Jesus, just wants to go out and get everybody saved? I love that. But he says, be careful, be careful. It's not good for you to rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you. Don't start rejoicing, in other words, in the wrong things. And I wanna pause here because I think that's really the crux of what we're after tonight. Is Jesus wanting to tell us, listen guys, I'm excited that you're amped up about winning the lost and preaching the kingdom and raising the dead and healing the sick. But don't get your priorities out of order. Be careful. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to become seduced by power. Hello. By success, by ministry success, by the fact that even the evil spirits listen to you. Hold up. Well, Jesus, I mean, I don't understand. I thought you wanted me to do this. I thought you wanted me to do all these things in your name and to cast out demons and to prophesy and do all these things. What's the danger here? Be careful. You don't say, "Lord, Lord, and prophesy my name and do mighty works." And at the end of your life, find me saying to you, "I never knew you." What's the, what's the issue here? Is it, is it the success? Is it the power? Is it the No, it's none of those things. It's that they were about to go about reinterpreting all of it in light of what was happening rather than in light of their relationship and union with Jesus. Jesus, I thought you brought us to Utah to make disciples and do amazing exploits in your name. The danger is that you can do these things without being in a relationship with Christ. This is scary because it means that right now all around us are people that are, quote unquote, having amazing success, but that aren't actually in a loving union with Christ. And that's not what God wants for our lives He wants us to measure success in ways that look like having a healthy soul rooted in a real loving union with him. See, you can spend so much time doing the work of the Lord that you neglect the Lord of the work. Can I say that again for you note takers? For Jonathan, you can spend so much time doing work for the Lord that you neglect the Lord of the work. Because ultimately, union is about intimacy. It's about relationship. It's about being one with Christ. It's about abiding and remaining in him. It's about allowing him to live his life in you. See, Jesus knows this. He knows this, and so he's really quick to point this out to his followers who just got back from this amazing ministry campaign. And he points this out to them, and he's pointing it out to us because why? Because he loves us. Because he wants the best for your life. And he knows how easy it's gonna be for you and I to be seduced, He knows how easy it's going to be for the world to seek, to divide, and to conquer us. and Now the enemy roams around looking for someone that he might devour. I used to think that only applied to people that weren't very spiritual, who didn't attend church. I now have come to realize that that actually is the enemy's target for believers like you and me, who do the works of Jesus. He's looking for those of us that get caught up in that, who make that our identity, who measure our success by that, rather than being in relationship with Jesus being in a loving union with Christ. we got to learn how to slow down so that he can live his life in us. In his work, the emotional healthy leader, Pete Scazzaro says this, and I love this. The consequences of not slowing down for a loving union may not always seem evident at first. We can justify skimming on time with God and rushing through our tasks. Anybody do that? Come on, every, every hand should be up. And we do this thinking, well, okay, maybe I got a little ahead of myself, but at least I'm a little further down the road. At least I got some more accomplished. No harm done. But Pete says this, but left unchecked, this approach to ministry and life and business and leadership will create the illusion of healthy growth and progress, but that will eventually bear forth bad fruit. Hear me on this and hear my heart. God wants you to bear fruit forth good fruit. That's what we're after. But if we don't slow down, we can miss it. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're going to be okay, that everything's going to be fine, but we won't be. And eventually the fruit of our life is going to show it. One of the best ways that we can learn to slow down for loving union is by developing what I'm going to call tonight a rule of life. This is not my own, but this is I believe a practical tool through which we can look at the way that our life is structured for loving union or for skimming and speeding and getting through life as fast as we can. Are you with me tonight? So I want to spend the remainder of our time doing this. I want to look at this because I, I believe this is going to really help us and help you slow down for a loving union with Christ. I believe this will be a great tool that you can use in your life and relationship with him. Now the term rule of life for those of you that haven't heard it, or maybe have heard something of like it, actually has its linguistic roots in an ancient Greek word that means trellis. Isn't that interesting? A trellis is a support structure that enables plants, such as vines or grapevines, to get off the ground and to grow upward. When we first moved into our house, we had raspberry vines. Before my dogs ate them all, and we used to have a, a trellis installed so that the the vines didn't end up on the ground. And it helped the, the vines actually to receive light. And it helped keep them off the ground so rats and other predators couldn't get to them, right? You see the point? So a trellis is a support structure. And it enables growth. It enables the plant to grow upward and outward. And it's a beautiful image, I believe, of what a rule of life is supposed to be and how it functions in life as a support tool, as a structure that we help lean into to help us abide in Christ, to bear fruit in Jesus. The truth is this, all of us already do this. All of us already have a rule of life. We just don't know it. You already have things that you do, uh, like spending time with God, or brushing your teeth, or you have things that you're committed to that help you live your life, right? You just don't always know it meaning we're not always aware of the way that we live out our rule of life, but we all have one. We all have things that govern the way we do life. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so some of you have a Bible reading plan. That's awesome. Uh, Some of you have a specific place or time to pray. Some of you have specific rhythms that you've done this and built this into your life, and that's great. So my goal is to help you become a little more intentional tonight by looking at this template for a rule of life that I believe we can use as a practical tool to help us grow. And here it is. Most of our life can be divided into four categories. Prayer, rest, relationships, and work. Prayer, rest, relationships, and work. A rule of life looks at all four of those categories and it has God's love centered in the middle of it how cool is that? And so God's love is meant to touch your prayer life. God's love is meant to touch your rest. God's love is meant to touch your relationships. God's love is meant to touch your work. You can see it touches all four of those categories. Now there may be others that we could add to this, but these are four basic categories that we can break our, our, our rule of life down into. Each of these categories is a way of thinking, not just about things that we have to do. Okay. But this, this is a way of, of receiving and giving God's love. Are you with me? You see, the love of God is located at the center because unless we're relying on God's love, unless God's love is rooted at the core of who we are, unless we know that we are the beloved, we're going to have nothing of lasting value that we can give other people. So keeping these four areas in balance does this. It helps me make sure that one area is not intruding on the other or causing certain rhythms to fall out of order or to come out of whack. It helps us keep the right priorities. It helps us from not saying yes to everybody, from not over-engaging, from going too fast, come on, from skimming on life and skimming on commitments that we make. It helps us keep everything in balance. Now, we're never gonna have a perfect, 100% beautiful little balanced picture of our life, right? There's gonna be sometimes seasons of our life where certain emphases and certain time is spent in other areas, right? We get that. But here's what I want you to do. If you have your notes or you have your phone, take it out and write this down. And I want you to write down four categories, prayer, rest, relationships, and work. All right, we're doing this tonight as a little bit of a practical assignment because I, I believe this. I believe that God doesn't want you here tonight just to hear a great message to walk away. and be I believe that there's some real, some real homework that you can do this week that will help you engage this at the next level. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer these three questions. Number one. What do you currently do that nurtures your spirit and fills you with delight? What are you currently doing in your life for your soul that nurtures your spirit and fills you with delight? Okay, so I want you to write down everything that you can think of. And if you don't want to do it all tonight, that's fine. Your list could include different things. It may include gardening, could include a nice walk out in the park or taking your dog out for a run or talking with a close friend And if you don't do anything or you don't know anything, think about some things that maybe you'd like to try that you've never done and pray about it and God will show you. So what do you currently do that nurtures your spirit and fills you with delight? Number two, what people, places, and activities do you need to avoid because they deplete you? Hello. You're thinking of somebody right now. I call them time suckers. They just suck up all your time. But maybe for you, that's not the issue. Maybe it's somebody that keeps leading you into sin or that leads you to compromise on your values or on on the things that God has called you to be about in this time of your life. This could include anything that negatively impacts your soul maybe violent movies, maybe hurrying, uh, going beyond your limitations. Again, write down everything that comes to mind. Number three, and finally, what have tos impact your rhythms? in this season of life, okay, not last year, not 2020, but right now in 2021, where you're at today, okay, this could include caring for an aging parent, uh, you know, caring for someone that's ill, maybe raising a young child, maybe you've got babies, okay, for a couple of you, I know that's true, uh, maybe you have someone with a special need, maybe you're dealing with a health concern, okay, or you're navigating a really demanding season at your job, okay, what have-tos impact your rhythms, In this season of life, once you've answered all these, you have a baseline for considering what you might want to include in the four rule of life categories. And I'll say this in closing. As you consider these categories, prayer, let's go and put that diagram back up. Prayer, rest, relationships, and work. Here's what I really want for us. I want you to prayerfully ask the Lord in your time with him this week, what is it God that you want most for my life? with regards to prayer. See, I could give you all kinds of practical help and all kinds of different, you know, advice on this, but I want you to seek the Lord on this. I want you to ask God, God, what is it that you want for my prayer life? You know, as a church, we've been gathering on Tuesdays at seven because we have really felt the Lord calling us to create a culture of prayer, of ongoing lifestyle prayer. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I need to, I need to come on Tuesday and be a part of that. Or or maybe it's just you saying, you know what? My time with the Lord in prayer needs to be spent at this moment of the day or before I do anything or at the end of night before I go to bed. But I want you to do this. I want you to pray about it. And then I want you to ask God, God, what is it that you want for my life with regards to rest? Am I doing a good job with Sabbath? Am I really taking a day just to unplug and do no work and not just fill myself with extra activities because I'm catching up on all the things I didn't do because I didn't Sabbath before? That's what ends up happening, right? <laughs> we finally take that day off and then, we're, and then we're working and we're doing stuff and you're paying the bills and you're answering calls and you're, right? That's, that's what at least happens to me. But I want you to pray about this. God, what is it that you want for my life with regards to rest? God wants you to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Can I say it again? Divert daily. Divert daily means there's something that you do just to get your attention off of your work, off your job, off yourself, that fills you with delight, to withdraw weekly, to get away one day a week, if you can, or half a day, whatever, whatever it is that you can do and commit to, to just be alone with the Lord, to hear from God, and to abandon annually. You mean, you take a vacation, right? You get out for a few days. If you can't do a full week or two weeks, well, that's fine, but take a day or two Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. I'd write that down. That's really helped my life. It's really helped reshape and reframe my priorities. So I want you to ask God, what is it, God, you want with regards to my life for rest? And then relationships. God, what is it that you want me to do with regards to, how much time am I giving to people in my life? Am I, am I giving enough time to my friends, my family, to my wife, my spouse? Pray about it and ask God to tell you. And then, of course, lastly, Work. God, what is it that you want for my work life? Am I working too much? Am I not working enough? <laughs> God, what's the right rhythm for me? And I want you to pray about it. And here's the cool part. God will show you and he'll he'll help you. Right? This isn't about having a perfect science and a perfect equation. No, this is about finding rhythms for our life that are rooted in God's love. See, all these things were given to us as gifts, guys. These aren't obligations. Prayer is not an obligation. Rest is not an obligation relationships are not obligations. Work isn't even an obligation. It's a gift from God. But we got to have the right priorities and the right balance. And then of course, lastly, make sure you include some fun. Have a little time for play. We work really hard here in the West. You know, when I go to Italy or I go to Europe, my Italian friends are like, you guys work way too much. You Americans, you're just always working. And you know, it's true. We do work a lot, you know. And it was amazing to me. You know, I had lunch with a friend out there and Their work day was like half of ours. It's like four hours. And they're like, yeah, and 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 then you wonder why they live so long and their skin looks so great. And they're not all stressed out of their mind. (laughs) I'm not saying don't do work, but what I'm saying is find the right balance. And you might be in a season right now where your work is demanding and where you just gotta, gotta drill down and gear down. That's okay. Or you might be in a season where, man, you're just you're just surfing on the wave of just years of just working hard, right? But find the right rhythms because these are meant to be gifts from God based in his love. And he will give you grace to do this. He'll give you grace to lean into this and to find the right rhythm. And here's the thing, guys, start small. Don't start with like, you know, a hundred things in each category. Change is incremental. It's baby steps, remember that? We're baby stepping, taking little steps. That's all Christ wants from us, to follow him and to do so one step at a time.